the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management owners or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful, informative, irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Let's talk real estate. In the beginning, there was fire. We know that's where it all began, kind of, right? Homo erectus, meaning upright man, species of archaic humans that lived many, many, many years ago. How many years ago? 1.8 million years ago. Now, we can get into the debate of classifications, ancestries, where they come from, part Asian, part European, part African. I don't know. That's not where I thrived in school. But that Homo erectus man had fire and then he needed to protect that fire so he got into a cave and he moved into a home and thus we start the history of real estate now real estate's a little more complicated than that for sure but let's all hail the king let's jump from homo erectus to the system of labor for protection developed into two separate systems in most countries taxes and tennessee royal families spread their wealth to friends signing away titles and deeds lands that allowed others to collect the revenues the rent produced by the peasants that would live there and, and do the land. Now, the peasants were like, one day I'd really like to own my own farm. And the king would be like, no, it's good to be the king. You have to pay taxes to me because I will give you a military. Why well, have your own land? I'll give you military to protect you. So taxes started to come into it. It wasn't all bad for peasants because peasants were peasants. They were dirty. They had flies. And then, you know, kingdom started saying, you know what? We got this great asparagus. That, that, that county over there, they got good corn. Let's start trade. So the whole use of land started to become even more commercialized. This led to non-agrarian shops and houses that still paid rent and taxes to different various lords and various kings. Things were bought, sold, and rented to common folk rather than the royal class. They started spreading the, the, the rule of the land. And they started creating land lords. So when you hear like, oh, it's Lord Terry from Britain. There's a land tied to that lord you get it the lord of sussex 
owns Sussex. So that's where Landlords comes from. Now, the king is dead. Long live the king. The king's dead. Oh, boy. That's a little bit of a problem. So you jump into a little more modern times, right? Aristocracies were displaced. Sometimes off with their head. We created politics, free markets of sorts, trying to escape that whole peasant world. As we did that, we created more jobs. The age of machines, the industrial revolution. It was the great equalizer in human history. It probably was only matched with, you know, bows and arrows and and gunpowder as far as what what came from it. Suddenly education became important. Suddenly specialization became important. Then we, instead of just the peasants working the, 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 the farms, you had cobblers and seamstresses and cabinet makers. So the old system became obsolete. We started creating a middle class, a blue collar class, and a white collar class. And this all led into ownership of land. Joining me today, talk a little real estate, a little history. Tony Mendez, Bay Area, LoneSource.com. How are you, Mr. Mendez? I'm well. Good day. So what do you think about my brief history of, of, of real estate? Uh, it was brief. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people in America, just they, they, they didn't really have to grow up with that kind of, you know, kingdomship. Um, you know, here's some land and you pay us some money kind of thing. Um, you know, we, we're all about mortgages and how to buy houses. But it, it took years for the mortgage to actually be the, what it is today. Um, which kind of really developed back in the 30s. Which is kind of interesting because you don't think about it, but someone had to invent a mortgage. Yep. We think about people who invented like Diet Coke as scientists. You know, the guy who invented barbecue sauce for McDonald's was a chemist. You're like, I thought he'd be a chef. Now he's a chemist. Um, But the invention of mortgages belongs to no particular country that I could figure out. Have you figured out where the invention of mortgages like derived or originated? Um, I haven't, and I, I tried to do a little bit of research, but it, it, it they all came around at the same time in the 1800s, uh, where banks would banks. loan banks. banks would loan money. So as soon as we got a banking system, they had to figure well, out who, what are we going to lend money well, for? It wasn't just that; it was the the, the U.S. government also s- started selling off land because in in 1800s it was all owned by the United States, yeah, uh, the, the government, and that had to be released to be sold. And then the banks kind of figured out that we could make some money on this. And they started, you know, figuring out that, you know, we give you a five-year mortgage, uh, interest only, was the, the theme back then. And then somewhere around the 30s is when, you know, we started seeing Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac come around, and they started figuring out, like, 30-year fixed. And we're one of the few countries that still actually has a 30-year fixed, but um, it, it allowed the average person or the low-income to average-income person to oh, wait, buy wait, a house. We're, the only, we're one of the only countries that has a 30-year mortgage? We're one of the few countries that has a 30-year fixed mortgage. Okay. Most well, countries have an, use arms where they fluctuate based on you know, arms the economy. Arms adjustable, adjustable rate mortgage. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. So the word mortgage, it's got the word death in it. I think a lot of people hate the word mortgage because it's literally you're tied to it for 30 years and you feel like you're going to be paying it for your whole life. Mort. Mort is death, right? Um, An illegal agreement by a bank and another creditor, basically in exchange for taking title of a debtor's property. So you assume the debt of a property and you pay it off and there's titles and things that come with it. Um, Proper ownership per se. Maybe you would call it a lien, Um, a deed. Yeah. But banks kind of invented mortgages, and I, I would say this story goes back about 30,000 total years. Mortgages were 30,000 years in the making from kings granting it. Yeah. 
Well, it was one of the, 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 the current mortgage that we have today kind of came out of the Great Depression, if you can call one good thing that came out of it. And that was uh, banks no longer have the ability to just foreclose on your house. And Which is what that, that's one of the reasons. And let me interrupt. That's one of the reasons the Depression and the 20s and 30s, you know, the 20s, the roaring 20s turned into the Depression of the 30s is um, banks were able to call their loans. Yep. Um, and they did. So when farmers lost the farm, literally, that's where you lost the farm came from is that suddenly the crisis got heated. The the head of the bank's like, we need our money back. You need to go tell farmer Joe to pay it all back today. So they called their loans. And I guess our government actually did something wise. When was the last time we said that, that loans became uncallable, that you couldn't say, we're going to lend you it to you for 10, 20, 30 years. You actually had to stick to those terms. Yeah. It had a lot to do with the, you know, manufacturing of homes as well. It, it, there was, you know, the technologies in the industrial revolution really pushed the ability for um, developers to build communities, and they want, and it kind of came hand in hand. Yeah. So we, you know, we have Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac coming around in the '30s, FHA coming around in the '30s. The GI Bill came in 1944, I think, is is when it was. All part of that, you know, the the American economy just boomed from there, and they, and and it it really led. I mean. How many houses nowadays are we seeing um, in the Bay Area that were built in the 1800s? I think I've done like maybe three or four loans in the last five years built in the 1800s. This is part of the the American dream, and it really spurred off in the early 1300s. I'm sorry, the 30s. Ownership, specifically ownership of land, became a basis of investment opportunity. The word opportunity is a big one there. Without a stable population and a set location, trade and commerce between groups is pretty limited. So when we got people living in a house for a long period of time, it created a much more stable economy. We'll talk about home ownership and much, much more. It's Tony Mendez with BayAreaLoanSource.com, and I'm Rob Black. You can find me at RobBlackShow.com. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking in real estate. Join me today, Tony Mendez, doing a little history on real estate. Real estate's sensitive to the ups and downs of any economic activity. I look at real estate as a 19th and 20th century phenomenon. And before that, I kind of looked at it as like a defensible fort or cave it gave you some sort of not economic prosperity, but safety prosperity, so to speak. 1920s brought about a huge surge in real estate, created millionaires in the United States, which ultimately would become billionaires. 1930, 16 million people were unemployed and the demand for real estate declined. No job. You suddenly became a nomad and you started uh, going across the United States and you'd say, hey, George, tell me about the rabbits. And you'd trek across the United States in hopes for something better. And you'd come to California to pick grapes. Grapes of wrath, right? So one of the more interesting things, I think, when I became conscious of real estate was the 1970s with this old house in Bob Vila. It was a PBS feature that kind of brought home ownership to something else. Like, take pride in what you own. You no longer have to be a nomad. Home improvement was a big thing. It was entertainment. But it was also about your home, home repair, house flipping, do-it-yourself projects. A lot of people who said, not only am I going to buy real estate, but I'm going to fix my real estate and take some pride in it. Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. You remember this old house? I do. You probably learned a trick or two, right? I loved watching it, and uh, we were fortunate that my parents owned a house uh, very early in our life, and we did a lot of 
maintenance. We did a lot of repairs and uh, we did buy a fixer upper. Right. Uh, it was a divorce couple and, um, you know, it was this kind of a, a divorce sale. And, you know, we bought his house for $88,000. It was probably worth a couple hundred thousand and it had shag rugs and zebra wallpaper and, uh, you know, unfinished rooms. So we didn't do it right away. We didn't do the whole Bob Vila aspect of it and certainly not what they do nowadays where they can whip out a house in in a week or a renovation but it you know took us 10 years or so and we eventually got all the rooms done and the way that we wanted it but it was it was very it was a great thing to do with your my dad it's kind of interesting when we look at it how entertainment has even today we we don't have to go back to bob vila and pbs but today's tv shows it's like this poor family, they've lost everything. The dad lost his job and his leg in the, in the not the Vietnam War, in the, I don't know, uh, Iraqi War. And we're going we're gonna to fix it up for him. Like, and we watch it and we cry. And they're like, show the house. Show that. Like, we get caught up in the emotions of, of home ownership. It's, it's, it, home is where the heart is. Home is, you know, it's a valuable concept. I don't feel like I ever had a home because I was in a military family and you, we didn't own homes. Military gave us housing, so to speak. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. I refer to it as housing. Well, home improvement, especially for Bob Vila and that, the, um, this old house came at the right time. You know, you had a massive amount of properties that were built from the thirties to the sixties and seventies, and they were getting old. And, you know, it was just perfect timing for them that where people are going, you know what, this, my house does need a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And next thing you know, there's this great show that was on PBS. It was a free, free channel. Everybody got it. And next thing you know, um, there was a boom in home improvement and it still lasts today. In fact, there's indexes that follow the home improvement, um, uh, contractors and, and they're sent a bit on, you know, how is it going to look in the next year? We're at a boom right now in home improvement. Uh, and a lot of that right now has to do with the ease of money. Yeah. The ease of lending right now, and especially when it comes to you know the equities that people have. Um, not only that, the, the choices that people have to move. So a lot of people are opting to add a you know either an in law unit or uh, upgrade their kitchens and bathrooms, and and this is part of this. The you know it ties into with the way that mortgages work and the availability of the the lending. Do you think Brian? back in caveman days, cave woman would say, "Grub, gooch door, paint," <laughs> and he was like. Lady, you, you broom! <laughs> Clean cave! <laughs> it may have sounded a lot like, what was his name? Um, uh, the other show? Ooh, 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 ooh. Tim, Tim have, Allen. Yeah, yeah, Tim Allen. It may have sounded a lot more like that. But again, what you're saying is that the home improvement's a big business now. And I go back to now TV shows, and they kind of make me sick. Flip this house and Treek and Mazook and whatever they are. And like they show how easy it is, but it's really not that easy. But, you know, Home Depot and Lowe's, Grog probably wasn't going to Home Depot to grab paint. He was probably, like, smearing deer blood all over the walls of the cave to to turn it red or something like that. But great investments because people care about where they live, and they take a lot of pride in it. I've got grass. My kids get to play on grass, and I take pride in it. And people look at me like... Why are you wasting all that water on grass? Because I take pride in my kids being able to play on grass. I mean, you can look at that one statistic that for every home that is out there, there's three jobs created because of that home. So uh, I did not know that. Yeah, it, it's and it could be everything from real estate to home improvement. You know, the guy at Lowe's and the guy at the, the nursery, it, it, it's, you know, the plumbers and electricians and so on. It, I mean, a home is you build it 20 years later, you still have to do maintenance. Um and a lot of improvements. And we've, we really, I, I really do think that 
you look at the lending industry right now, and, it, and I think it's going to continue the way it's going. Just again, we go back to the availability of homes. To, are, where are people moving if they can't afford a home somewhere else? And you know this, Rob. There's so many people right now that can't even afford to rebuy their own house. Right, so sure. they they save some money or they borrow some money and they improve the property that they live in. Robert Frost used the phrase "good fences make good neighbors," <laughs> and it's a proverb that has it, it, it hits multiple cultures, in my opinion. Um, Mending wall is a favorite amongst literary lovers who enjoy discussing the poem's true meaning. You know, but it's 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 out there in German and Norwegian and Russian and Japanese and Hindi as well as English. Good fences make good neighbors. Um, this is multicultural. This isn't just the United States. And again, uh, the history of a home, it's long and complicated, but it's its probably the biggest financial decision most people make. And uh, I could tell you, like, uh, one of my very first relationships, the the, the father of the, the girl I was dating pulled me aside and he goes, you're going to have debt till the day you die. And it's a good thing because it's going to be a home. And I was like, uh, okay. I, I was a little bit too young to, like, digest it. But um, the question is, do good fences make good neighbors? I think they do. Yeah, I think so too. So they're not as pretty as they you know they could be. But what side of the fence do you own? Like if you build a fence, do you actually own just your side of the fence? Can you tell your neighbor to paint and stain the other side of the fence so it doesn't rot from the other side? I've always thought that was a very interesting concept. You're talking about my personal experience. <laughs> I'm looking at your beautiful fence on the inside. What does it look like on the other side? Right. Um, so but you in, can't see your neighbor. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, it's interesting because the white picket fences is something we think about the 1950s. Um, and I, you know, little kids painting a fence, uh, a white fence is is a cultural icon in our head. Um, and I still paint my fence, and oddly enough, you know what I paint it? It's white. So. Um, talking a little bit about home improvement, talking a little about ownership of homes. Any final thoughts on this topic, Mr. Mendez, during the segment? No, I, I think that um, I think you, you you said it beautifully, Rob. <laughs> so back in the Revolutionary War, one of the things that we we set up was we're going to give more home ownership rights to people who fought the British. Um, so we fight wars over home ownership rights. It's pretty crazy uh, the way it's played out. Now, I'm not going to get into the complicated history of us taking land from the Indians and building homes on it. And, and then and, giving and then giving it back to, you know, 40 acres and a mule kind of thing. Yeah. Do you remember that? Long story short, we've got to get a break. It's Tony Mendez with Bay Area Loan Source. We're talking a little history of real estate. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. And streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. So we're bouncing from cavemen to modern age homeowners to home improvement to pride to fences making good neighbors in the revolutionary war let's go back to san francisco and go back to 1848 the new york herald was the first major new newspaper on the east coast to report about the discovery of gold and for some reason gold is is awesome and the queen once sent columbus go find me gold or something like that so uh, president james polk in 1848 confirmed the discovery of gold in an address to congress this was a pretty big moment because california became the mother load from other countries and other parts of the united states everyone suddenly were like gold squatters took over land and stole crops and cattle san francisco was a settlement before the rush, but residents, you know, once they learned about the discovery of gold in the hills, San Francisco became a ghost town of abandoned ships and businesses. 
And suddenly the gold rush turned San Francisco into merchants. And as new people arrived, we quickly went from a town of 1,000 people in 1848 to 25,000 full-time residents in 1850. Miners lived in tents, wood shanties, and deck cabins. I still see up in Northern California some of the, um, the, the gold camps that the Chinese lived in that were just horrific conditions. Supplies and goods were needed. Northern California had uh, a, kind of a claim on it from Shasta to Colma. Uh, pretty big stuff. At the beginning of the gold rush, there was no law regarding property rights in the gold fields. It was staking claims was the, how you got property. Prospectors retrieved the gold from streams and riverbeds using simple techniques like panning, which led to more, how shall we say, non-environmentally friendly ways of, of tapping into the gold. Tony Mendez, technological advances, real estate and gold. It's all about the gold in them here. Yeah. Like ni- I think 90,000 minor uh, people came to California in 1949, uh, half by sea and half by land. Uh, so it was a big rush. Um, and then that's when we started cutting down all the trees. So 10% of our redwood forests are gone. I'm sorry, 90% are gone, 10 left. And it's interesting to note that ultimately, not only are the trees gone, but the indigenous people are gone. The Native Americans, who basically were hunting, fishing, and food gatherers, we were like, ah, there's gold in them there, streams and hills, and we need you to leave. We need to push you a little bit further away. Because you're interrupting our ability to grab said gold. Um, It's interesting to note that there's so many different ties in American history towards appreciation and getting into real estate. And, you know, obviously uh, mortgages eventually came and then, you know, staking property. And if you fight for your country, you're basically promised land. It's it's um, I'm not going to say it's a hotbed, but. um, California's uh, got an interesting angle on the real estate boom, so to speak, tied towards gold. They sure do. Uh, and it continues today. I mean, uh, the gold today is tech. And look, look what's doing to San Francisco real estate. And I'm sure, I imagine that's what it was like when you were looking at a at a, a gold mine that was hot. I don't know what the actual term would be. You struck gold, and, and it's still producing um, gold on a daily basis. And that became hot real estate. And, you know, you had these guys who were claim jumping. They would go from one claim to another after it dried up. So, um, and eventually the laws of, of buying land and um, ownership would, you know, was adopted uh, from the, you know, after the, we bought the land from, the United States bought the land from Mexico. It's interesting to note, and again, that was tied towards the Mexican-American War, and mm-hmm. like we already had the land, but they kind of had a claim on the land. But because the war issues, we said, it's ours. Um, which is kind of the great American way of doing business. Uh, you just get there and put a flag and say it's mine. Um, did you know that the gold rush is partially to blame or history partially blames it for homosexuality? I did not know that. Um, San Francisco is known as the city of bachelors because gold miners were men. There was a disproportionate number of men to women in San Francisco. It created an environment where homosexuality and gay culture flourished. I, well, I like, go. I would be like, I did not know that. The Barbary Coast was a district where men and men went to gamble and satisfy their sexual desires and pay for sex with, with gold. women oh. <laughs> or female impersonators. Interesting. So, I don't know. One of the very first things I went did when I got to San Francisco 20 years ago was I went to a drag show. And, uh, In fact, you took me there. <laughs> the same place. Probably. It's kind of a rite of passage or something mm-hmm. like that. And... Um, 
let's just say the Mexican-American War led to many, many, many things. Um, let's change topics and talk a little Fannie Mae, because we've hit gold country, and we've talked about the gold rush, and we've talked about the Depression, where people came to maybe start avocado fields on the West. Uh, my family has ties to moving from the East Coast to the West Coast during the Depression uh, to suit a better life. In fact, uh, one of my in-laws, you know, he came from basically Ohio all the way to California, got a farm and uh, did avocados, became a big Palencia farmer. But guess what was on his land? Oil. oil. Yeah. So not only was he a farmer, but he was an oil guy too, um, which is I, I think, again, fascinating in and of itself, but we don't have to beat it to a pulp. Uh, let's talk a little Fannie Mae, because, you know, doing a little bit of studying on Fannie Mae, um, a publicly owned, government-sponsored business, a charter, I suppose, started in the 30s, 1938. It helped people buy land. Um, known by the nickname as Fannie Mae, its packages, mortgages were the Federal Housing Administration, and you can boil that down to Fannie Mae. Um, but it also sells non-government-backed securities. So our government got in the business of helping people get land because they saw value in it of creating a stable economy. Yeah, between Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which came around uh, around the same time, and FHA around the same time, the GI Bill, which I believe led to um, the VA loans, um, was, again, part of the big depression, the Great Depression. Um, we saw something very similar come out of the Great Recession, which was the Dodd-Frank, which is now... Um, protecting people against you know the, the kind of lending that happened between the 30s and the in the and the late 90s and it it's a lot of people still give Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac um, and you know the the way that they're kind of regulated yeah. a lot of a lot of crap but when it's all said and done well, it, a lot of people don't think the government should be in the business of well, lending money well they shouldn't and that's again you know you have somebody like Donald Trump who's saying you know we want to privatize um, the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and a lot of people before him were saying the same thing. The reason but, you'd want to privatize it is because then businesses would find their own level. And right. you wouldn't it's, necessarily it would, say um, everyone deserves land. You would say only qualified people deserve land. And then, right. But and, the government wants everyone to deserve land. And they're, they're kind of sticking with their original philosophy behind you know, why they created this. is it, it, We want it to be an equal opportunity uh, prospect. You know, of buying a house, and you know, with FHA doing three and a half percent down, uh, Fannie Mae even does three percent down. VA does zero percent down. So these are kind of low income yes. to average income uh, programs, and they've stuck around and they've actually helped quite a few people. And they have the lowest interest rates out there. Banks, okay. banks still historically have higher interest rates than Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, um, and maybe there is a lobby against getting Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac out of conservatorship, and then eventually gone so that they can compete and, and, you know, make those margins. I don't think I have a, a right answer on that as if, if any man, Freddie Mac should be abolished and we just go private and let literally money find its own level. They say water finds its own level during a flood. Um, so if your house is, it needs a sump pump to get the water out of the bottom. Yeah, basis, but, but, I mean, the argument there too, is it would, it would, I mean, you would see probably 75% of the wholesale lenders disappear because they use Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac to supply them the funds. They buy it. They securitize it. They guarantee it. They, they, they make it, they give the, the industry liquidity. But it also begs the question of, in, and if the, you don't have the, money, the housing crisis that we just came out of, 
a lot of people think happened because we gave loans to people who didn't deserve loans. Well, that's the Dodd-Frank part of you know, right. the Great Depression, the Great Recession, and Dodd-Frank came out, and now we have the ability to repay rules. We have um, all of the rules now and the guidelines that have been tightened up to protect the ownership. In fact, it, I, it shows you how sticky this is but, that we're, but, we're arguing about it. Well, I'm not. I don't know if you're really arguing about it's a mathematical it. Formula. It, it, it is a mathematical. It doesn't mean I, I don't like you. The, <laughs> You've liked me for how long? Too long. Too long. But if you're sitting in a house right now, then you've watched your value go from four hundred thousand to eight hundred thousand, or it could be, you know, seven hundred to one and a half million. It has a lot to do with the fact that the the market, the ownership pool is is much more qualified. Right. If you did, if you were going and but we get in bank, trouble when politicians say give it to the unqualified. You could do liar loans. Liar loans, I think, were created so that poor people can get mortgages. The, on, the only lenders that are, are offering those types of riskier loans, what we call non-qualified mortgage loans, are the banks and the, and the riskier investors. And yes, it is part of the whole ecology of, of real estate. Is you know, and and the, the kind of buyers out there, you need private money, you need a stated a stated income loan or a bank statement loan, but not but the majority of people, eighty something percent of people in the United States are using a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loan or a conventional loan. Just, just say that it's a system that has benefited me, but it's also a system that's easily to criticize when it fails. Do you remember Correct. when Cartman um, <laughs> saw Kenny's mom kicking a can down the road? He goes, Kenny, what's your mom doing? And Kenny would go. She's moving. <laughs> she's kicking a can and she's moving. That's the joke. Poor people don't have homes. They literally move from neighborhood to neighborhood by kicking a can. Um, but again, that's an interesting question. Do poor people, do lower income people deserve, to, uh, should they own homes? Or is it a commitment that we put around their necks that could ultimately backfire as it did? Um and then you get these quasi-government businesses like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac or like the Federal Reserve. A lot of people don't like these quasi-government entities basically making financial decisions or helping people make big financial decisions that maybe they deserve or don't deserve. Does everyone deserve a chicken? According to one president, yeah. Does everyone deserve a home? According to some politicians, yes. But it is a big financial commitment, and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are there for you. You can find Tony Mendez at BayAreaLoanSource.com. He does all my mortgages. We're talking about the history of real estate. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at KDOW.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, talking about property and home ownership rights in the United States. We started with cavemen's and UGG. And ook, and we've come all the way to the United States in the gold miners' days. But even before the gold miners, we have the Civil War and we have slavery, where you may not know about Amistad, but Amistad was a big legal case in the United States where slaves were property of people. We have a complicated history with home ownership and property ownership. People were property. Now, I'm not going to tackle that big one because Matthew McConaughey already did it in a movie. All right, all right, all right. Representing the slaves from the uh, slavery boat uh, Amistad. But it is fascinating to see how divided our country can be on property and property rights, right? And whether it be the uh, the 49ers, uh, the gold rush, or whether it be the Revolutionary War, we fight for land. And uh, a lot of times it's, it's fight to the death, right? A precursor. I want to jump to another topic of real estate in the United States. And this is one that I talk about on a regular basis. It, it's real estate investment trusts. In the 1960s, Dwight Eisenhower, president of the United States, signed legislation into law in the United States, where I think it was 
kind of, um, I want to say this, the Caucasian man taking care of the Caucasian man, the Caucasian rich man. So Congress basically created a, a, a thing where real estate could be owned in clumps. So you can go out and buy a stock called a real estate investment trust. It was publicly owned. And suddenly you can own a mall property or an apartment building in San Francisco, even though you lived in Boston. And you only own one one hundredth of it or how many other shares were out there. But the company, the REIT, had to pay basically 90% of its income back to shareholders. So you got the property that the company owned. It went up and down in value. Office buildings in New York, office buildings in Boston, office buildings in San Francisco, L.A. Maybe it's apartments in Chicago. There was various ways of doing it. But I think it was an interesting way of packaging owning commercial real estate to the not the average person, but the rich person who could afford a stockbroker. And you forgot the the other part of that is they also you also had lower taxes on the right. ownership. So yeah, the so owners the, the company didn't pay taxes. Ta- yeah, the company didn't pay taxes. You're right. But they had to share that income with the shareholders. Right. Which could also have been wealthy people. <laughs> And that helped build real estate because developers were like, we want to build more office properties. Where do we get money? And it was from the stock market. It was the capital system that, that gave it to them ultimately. So um, bringing us home on this, real estate's kind of complicated. And our government's got its fingers in it. And uh, it's got a long and very dark history as well as a very positive outcome in a lot of uh, scenarios for people. A lot of people, all they own is their home. Yeah. Well, in this, in the uh, same thing too, when you you look at that kind of co-op look, or you know how how are we owning property? Where is the money coming from? You can also look at the way that condos uh, developed in the United States. Condos are, um, were not novel to the United States. Uh, I'm sorry to the world. Are condos a bastardization of the single family home? Is it a monstrosity? Well, I mean, originally it was designed uh, like co-ops in New York City, and it, was, it came around in the late 1800s, mid-1800s, and it was designed to help people who couldn't afford to rent, um, and they would basically co-op uh, and live in a you know kind of a confined area, but closer to work instead of going out and finding a single-family house that was farther away. Um, it wasn't until the 1960s when condominium was actually a word, and it was uh, it was defined as a condominium as a co-ownership as instead of a co-op um i guess that is kind of what a co-op is but now you actually instead of just renting out a spot as kind of the co-op situation you're actually co you're co-owners with other owners and this is kind of like what a REIT is and and it it was the best use of land that you could find as well and for the record i want to say the average person if they want to own commercial real estate, should do it through publicly traded REITs. Um, it's con- it's crazy to think about, but when you own shares of Apple, you're an owner of the company. When you own shares of a REIT, maybe you own apartment buildings in New York. You can't go in and say, this is my property. You need to clean this up and throw fresh paint on the walls. But it is ownership. And you, and you can be out like that, clean and cut, right? Yep. At any point. So you don't have the mortgage. You don't right. have the 30-year commitment that the developers may have. Um, and again, how many jobs in the United States are tied towards the housing market? It's enormous. It's a huge market. That's why we talk about it on a regular basis. The auto industry, less important than it used to be. The home industry, still very important. And I'll tell you what, every time I see a hurricane or an earthquake, I actually cheer because it's positive economic activity. I know it's horrible. People get flooded. They lose their homes. They lose their pictures. The house burns down. But I see jobs that come out of that for years and years to come. Now, I also see contractors jacking prices and that's not cool. But economic activity and housing go hand in hand. Sure does. And uh, 
Uh, you know, it's, it's the ebbs and flows, the booms and the busts um, that, that, you know, people have seen buying opportunities and they've seen them come go away. And, uh, you know, still the American dream is to get rich slowly through real estate. And it's going to continue to um, drive people to buy and buy more houses. Uh, we're, we're creating more household found. Um, formations today than we've ever been creating. And that's going to be a demand on housing, no matter where you are. Um, you can be in a little world like the Bay Area and go, where's new housing going to go? It's going to go to, to multifamily housing. But if you're in Sacramento, it's just going to sprawl out even more or other parts of the United States. But people, are, it's all about affordable housing now. Um, and with low interest rates uh, looking like it's going to continue for a while, I think we're going to see a, a real estate continue to boom. Home is about a sense of community. Home is about income tax deductions, which is awesome. It's about tax-free capital gains. It's about having fixed monthly payments where you know you're going to be in a place for a long period of time. It's about improving your credit. Ability to make changes to your home is awesome, where renters may not have that ability. Uh, but I can paint my walls this weekend. I can plant new grass or new sod. I can you know, uh, throw in a fence or whatever I want. And the value increases over time. We've got 30 seconds. Any last thoughts? No, I think I think that was a good summary of of the history of real estate. Is that um, it, it's it's still growing, it's still adapting to you know the needs of the people, and and um, homeownership rates are going back up. I think that's great. You can find Tony Mendez at BayAreaLoanSource dot com. You can find me at robblackshow.com. dot com. Tony is at BayAreaLoanSource dot com. I'm Rob Black. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.